Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Welcome to Garden Church Podcast. We are in a series called Courageous Orthodoxy, Convictions for Resilient Faith. And for us at this time, we are looking at the foundations of Christian belief. We are trying to encourage you as followers of Jesus to live out of a robust theology. We're hoping that you would be encouraged by this and that you will ground your faith in the Word of God and you will live a vibrant life in the way of Jesus. Hope this empowers you and encourages you in your faith. Good morning. Welcome. It's good to be uh, good to be here today, and uh, really kind of like what you've done at the place. This is uh, very nice. Um, I want to um, continue the conversation that we've been on over the last several weeks about kind of the marks, the foundational identifiers of the church, not just our church, but the church universal. But we want to particularize it here at, at the Garden and. Um, by, by now, you probably will have figured out that uh, Garden Church cannot exist for itself, otherwise it will no longer be a church. Church, by definition, is the only organization in the world that exists for people who aren't here yet. It is, um, it, it, so I'm going to talk about what Dana talked about, what Michael talked about, and that is mission. And not just mission, but missions. Because they're interrelated. 
And just in case you're thinking that this is for special people, it is. It's an all play. Uh, Once you have been touched by the love of God, the demonstration of that, the, the working that out, the boots on the ground, John, when he writes 1 John, says that, how do we know that God loves us? How do we know that we have been immersed in the love of God? Easy, we love one another. That's how you can tell. And so it works itself out in a way that God designed from the get-go. So the idea of a church without mission is foreign. In fact, one of the authors I read on this says a, a, a church exists by mission as a fire exists by flame. It's inseparable. You can't have a church without mission as part of its self-understanding and identity. And so uh, we want to talk a little bit about this idea this morning, uh, principally because, as you know, we have, have from the very beginning prayed in first in Long Beach, and then now wherever you are, as in heaven. That's mission. And we have this woven into the fabric, into the DNA, uh, but it is really, really easy in confused and frightened and terrifying times to lose the plot, to forget what we're about, to let fear begin to call us to hunker down. Remember back in the day, uh, oh man, ancient history now, three or four years ago. Because it feels that way with with pandemic, doesn't it? It feels like before and after. I mean, it's like the world ended and then it kind of lurched into a start again. And you may remember back in the day when, when hoarding was the thing. And whether it was toilet paper or whether it was whatever else that we were running out of, baby formula, whatever it was, the, the, the thing was to hoard. And I, it just occurred to me that that fear-based response is exactly the opposite of the gospel, unless you decide to hoard for the sake of having plenty to give away to people who didn't. That's the only thing that makes sense for the people of God. And so we lean into this because it's from the get-go what God intended. So I'm going to be doing kind of a 10,000-foot flyover of a number of passages of Scripture just to kind of give you a feel for how this has been part of the fabric, not just of church, but humanity since the beginning. We'll start where everything starts in Genesis chapter 1. You have been in this passage before, uh, and we discover that the church doesn't have a mission that God has a mission and the church joins him in his mission. We don't get to have our own. We join God in his. Here it is, verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they can rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move on the ground. So, God created humankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And with that blessing, God said to them, now be fruitful and and, and, and increase in number and fill the earth and, and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, 
birds of the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. So I want you to notice from this passage something very important, specifically this verse. When God blessed, he did not intend blessing to be stored up. Blessing is like manna. If you store it, it rots. Blessing is intended to be given away. And the way that it works itself out here in this particular passage is to extend God's rule to the very edges of the known world. That's what this means. You'll probably have noticed here that that animals don't need supervision. They don't need bosses. So whatever rule means, whatever uh, stewardship means, it's not that. It means to extend God's loving care, God's blessing uh, over the whole earth. And to let, so right from the very beginning, this this reaching out from community as individuals uh, has been a marker of God's people to extend his authority. This is the early version of the reality for which we now continue to pray on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it looked like back at the beginning. It was on earth as it was in the heavens. There was no delineation between the one and the other. It was a fluid, seamless reality, a liminal space. And we were intended as his representatives, as his ambassadors, as his part of his image to extend, to reach out. We have experienced the depths of God's love. We have experienced his blessing and so. The proof of that, the demonstration of that, is that we give. It overflows. Uh, And unfortunately, um, that only lasted a couple of chapters because in chapter 3, we wanted to extend our own rule. We wanted not God's rule. We wanted to be like God. And rather than serve as his image, we instead let fear begin to drive us. And instead of love reaching out, fear began to close in. And we began to hunker down. Uh, The first and immediate outcome of that is the Genesis uh, uh, 3 question, where are you? Followed by the second most horrifying question in the entirety of Scripture in chapter 4, where Cain having discovered he has no idea who he is, but thinks that killing his brother will help him know who he is, asks, am I my brother's keeper? That was obvious from chapters 1 and 2. Of course you're your brother's keeper. But in chapter 3, fear began to cause us to close in. Fear began to cause us to gather our Charlie Brown snow fort and build up our snowballs so that we can make sure nobody comes in. And by the way, that spirit is still very much a part of our culture today. The more fearful we are, the more terrified we are of the otherness of others, the higher we build the walls and the harder we make it to get in. Whether it's a community or a country or a family or a neighborhood, we we want... Think you're going to belong here, and and that, that we need to be clear on what are the markers of things that undermine and work against the mission of God. It's really important that you know you can work against the mission of God. It won't go well for you, but you actually can do that. We're going to find out what happens in a minute to those who 
push back against the blessing of God. All right, you with me? So in Genesis chapter uh, 12, now we have God's kind of rescue plan beginning with a family, with a person who's, who, who, is, who is called out of this Genesis 4 darkness, am I my brother's keeper? And his name is Abram. You've heard his story. It begins in verse 1 of chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your people, from your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. You don't want to be on the wrong side of God's mission. All the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So you'll notice here uh, what is happening. God is, it's, he's hit the do-over button, right? He's done a hard reset. He's unplugged the device and waited five minutes and he's plugged it back in again. All right, let's start again. And notice what he's doing here, how, how this is carried out in the story. I want you to leave everything that has defined you up to this point. Remember, this is a culture in which Place and family are the primary definers of identity. So leave your country. Leave your father and your father's house. Leave all of those things by which you have previously been known, and now your identity will be one who walks with God. Is that good enough for you? Now, if fear is your anchor, this is terrifying. Remember when Cain left in chapter 4? He was terrified that people would identify him as people without a place, people without a country, people without a passport. And he says, anybody that sees me is going to go after me. They're going to kill me. They're going to view me as a threat. God put a mark on him to protect him. But please notice that same spirit applies here. So here's now Abraham strategically advised to leave everything that previously defined him because the family that is going to flow out of him can't be like the family that gave birth to him. The family that, the, the, the nations that is going to develop out of him is one that is developed by people who walk with God. And Abraham's question, essentially, where are we going? And God's answer is really frustrating. I'll tell you when we get there. But here's what I'm going to do, bro. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. Now, not, not, not for you to store up, but for you to be a blessing. For you to be a blessing. I want you to enjoy the blessing. Please. But please don't enjoy it so much that you don't want others to have it. Bless, and, and those who resist the blessing, those who push back against it, will experience that very blessing as curse. God doesn't act too hurt people, but those who are in misalignment to his character discover the flow of God's character to be oppositional to them. Remember, we talked about this before with covenant, with the white water, remember? The, the flow of the river, if you're going with the flow of the river, you receive the flow of the river as blessing, as benefit. If you get sideways to the flow of the river, or if you try and go back up the flow of the river, you will discover that the river is against you. That's what curse means in the Old Testament. It's oppositional 
to you. And so God is saying, this is so important to me that people who push back against you will discover uh, they're on the wrong side of his story. They are the wrong side. So Abraham, go out and be a blessing. And please notice again, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. How is that possible? Well, you, you don't have a nation anymore, Abraham. You're a nationless person so that you can go to all nations. Yeah? You're defined by relationship with me. So, no surprise, when Jesus gathers his disciples, he says largely the same thing in Matthew chapter 16. It begins at verse 13. Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, what's the buzz on me? What are people saying? What are you hearing in the, in the marketplace? And they give the answers. Well, some are thinking you're like kind of John the Baptist preparing the way. Some think you're like maybe Elijah, the one who we heard was going to come back before Messiah. Some think you're Jeremiah because you're yelling and weeping a lot. <laughs> maybe the prophet that Moses talked about. Maybe you're that guy. And Jesus, listen to this. Now, you guys have been with me for now almost three years. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, almost in spite of him, says, you're the guy. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. I don't understand it. And Jesus echoes that. You're right. You didn't figure that out, did you? Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My Father, who is in the heavens, has actualized your journey with me to the point that you have come to the conclusion that I am who you say I am. Now, here's what I'm going to do. Your name is Peter, Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it, will not overcome it. And what is more, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. Whatever you shall bind on earth shall have been bound in the heavens, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall have been loosed in the heavens. You want to just, like, sit on that for just a minute? Because if anything convinces you that maybe for Jesus at this moment, the cracker, the cheese had slipped off the cracker, this is it. All the puppies can't be barking if Jesus says this. This is our feeling. Because what are, what are keys for? In that ancient Near Eastern word, they symbolize authority. They symbolize power. They symbolize a, a stance. And he's saying, I'm giving you the keys, the authority, the power of the kingdom of the heavens. I'm giving them to you. And we're looking like, who? <laughs> Those who stand on the confession that Peter made that I am the Christ. Now, you need to learn how to use the keys because whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in the heavens. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in the heavens. The keys are to open and close. For God's sake, use them to open. Use them to let people in. Use them to invite people to the journey that has become so transformative for you. Don't lock people out. And here's where you think, Jesus, I'm not ready for this yet. Because I've got some people that I just slam the door in their face. 
and lock it. Because there's some folks I don't think I want part of the kingdom. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You liars. Not a single one of you put your hand up. Every head bowed. We got live ones in the place here. No, but that's true, isn't it? There are some folks, it's a short list for most of y'all, or not, that if you had the keys to the kingdom of the heavens and you could make a determination of who's in and who's out, there are some people that you have pop into your mind, out. And Jesus is going to train you in the use of the kingdom so that you use them in Jesus' name and open the doors. Remember Psalm 23? How frustrating is that psalm? You know how it ends. He prepares for us a table. Where? In the presence of our enemies. What are they supposed to do? Watch us eat? No, because it's not your table. It's a table that is set for your enemies just as much as it is set for you. It's a table in which the host is not just your host, but the host of those who are enmity, at enmity with you. So you need to learn how to use the keys of the kingdom because eternity depends on it. He's serious when he says this. Where does this authority come from? It's the same thing as being part of the image of God, Genesis chapter 1. It's not different. All authority has been given to me, so here's how I want you to use it. Use it to open the door. In fact, uh, when uh, he, he, he uh, goes and finally uh, ascends on his last few minutes on earth, what does he say? Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 8. They were gathered around him. They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see how narrow-minded they were already cluing in. The keys are to keep people who aren't Israel out. No, 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 Jesus says. It's not for you to know the times, the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Did you catch what he's doing here? Don't have such a fear-based, narrow-mindedness. That, that, that limits accessibility. You have, it, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will empower you to be, please notice, not to do something first, but to be someone first. To be someone who by their nature bears witness to the reality of Jesus' resurrection that we celebrate here in a few days. How do people know? That Jesus is raised from the dead, he himself told us in John chapter 17. You all love one another. That's how they know. There's no other explanation for the church than the resurrection of Jesus. It's the only thing that makes sense of it. So our love for one another bears witness to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, bears witness to the reality of the kingdom of God that has come, and where are we supposed to Bear witness everywhere you are, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, right to the very ends of the earth. The church has been missional since two seconds after its birth. Who does that sound like to you? 
Remember, where we're going is where we've been. God is going to restore, reconcile all things to himself for the purpose that he had in mind in the first place, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? So missions has always been part of the DNA of the church, and not just mission where we are, but missions as in how do we support people who are going to move in country, who are going to learn a language, who are going to learn the culture over the, a couple of decades long enough to be able to drop the seeds of the gospel of love into that culture in a way that that culture can understand it. That's, that's a slow drip for a long time, brothers and sisters. And we in our Instapot generation have no patience for that. I got to tell you, there are still in excess of 10 thousand people groups in the world numbering in the millions that do not yet have an adequate witness of the gospel of Jesus. I was with some translator with Wycliffe the other a uh, couple of weeks ago and they were they're stationed in Papua New Guinea. Still over a hundred languages they're working on in that island group that don't have an adequate testimony, an adequate text of scripture. There's work to be done. It's work to be done. We want to have local mission, but we want to have regional missions where we go on missions trips to Mexico and other parts of, of the country. And what, what, what Dana is going to be leading us into, yes, 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 a thousand times yes. But for God's sake, for God's sake, let's not forget the ends of the earth. Some of you are right now feeling a burning Pay attention to that. Blow on it gently. Let the Holy Spirit blow that into a flame that may see you before the end of a year or two from now in another country learning a language. It is astounding. The Holy Spirit will meet you there. I have a friend who is currently in a country that I cannot name because of the danger it would pose, even in this space, who is leading Muslims to Christ by the dozens using the Quran. <laughs> what, the Holy Spirit reads the Quran? <laughs> yes! And there is witness to Christ in there. It is astonishing how creative the Holy Spirit can be. Look around. And he invites us to join him, not him to join us on our mission, but us to join him on his mission. You see what he's up to here. And so he invites us into that, sends us the spirit, not so that we can have a happy, holy time, but so that we can be empowered in the way of being so that Christ is glorified. Yeah? That, by the way, as I've mentioned before, is the proof of a true revival. Outpourings, all day, all day, all day. But revival has to eventuate in mission. Has to get us out of town. So we are invited into that. In fact, Paul gets a hold of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says this, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore in him all died. He died for all so that those then who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, the outcome of this, we regard no one 
from a worldly point of view anymore. Not their ethnicity, not their skin tone, not their gender, not their race, not their education, not their socioeconomic status. We look at no one from those old dying perspectives and not just dying but death-dealing perspectives. Instead, we have this singular view. We used to look at Christ that way, but even him, we don't look like at that way anymore. Why? Because in Christ, a new creation has come. There is no old. The old is gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and now has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It is God who is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has given to us the message, the good news of that reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. It's as though God were making his personal appeal through us. We beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. Can you think of any better news for a world that is in epistemological meltdown? We don't know what facts are anymore. So we have to live them in undeniable ways. We are in ontological crisis. We can't figure out the source of our being. Our identity is up for grabs. It's a coin toss. And God's answer to this world that he loves so much? Well, John tells us, Jesus tells us, God so loved the world that he sent his only beloved sons and daughters into the world so that people who believe in his son as a result of their life would find themselves living forever. Strategic. We don't look at anybody in the way we used to anymore. Not even our neighbor. Not even that annoying guy with the dog who doesn't have the little blue bag. You know who I'm talking about. Not even that barista who wishes she were doing something else and takes it out on every customer who comes by. How are you going to make a difference? What does it mean for you to be a witness to the reconciliation? Good news, Jesus knew you would have that question and provided an answer so you wouldn't have to make it up on your own. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Again, the resurrection has taken place. The disciples, 11 of them, are gathered in Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. So Jesus came to them and said, All authority in the heavens and on earth has been given to me. So be going. I'm changing the verb tense to match what the Greek says. Be going. And as you're going, be making disciples of everybody you meet. Be baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then you can teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you always until you get the job done or die trying. 
So you'll notice what Jesus is doing here. I mean, here they are. He's serious this time. He's going away, and they can't go with him. They had fingers crossed, hoped that he would have changed his mind at the last minute. But he didn't. It's good for you, he says, that I go away. And so uh, here they are. They're not doubtful of Jesus. They're doubtful of their capacity for what's next. The best man they have ever known for three and a half years is leaving. Now what? You can imagine how concerning that would be for them. And Jesus says, don't, don't panic. All authority in the heavens and on the earth, can we just notice that there's no authority left to be given to anybody else? Jesus has it all now. And he says, on the basis of that, I'm authorizing you. You're going to be heading off this mountain. And I really don't care where you go. Don't be asking for my will for your life as to where you're supposed to go. Just go. Just go. And as you go as a truck driver, as you go as a nurse, as you go as a doctor, as you go as an attorney, as you go as a, as a stay-at-home dad or mom, as you go as a preschool teacher, as you go as a, as a fill-in-the-blank, here's the one thing I'm asking you to do. I want you to make friends for me. I want you to... I want, you to, I want you to live in such a way that people fall in love with the me they meet in you. Now, please notice the strategy. Because baptize here is not a formula. I mean, I think we should say these words when we baptize people in water. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've been baptizing people saying that phrase for 45 years. But that's not what Jesus is giving us here. He's giving us a strategy that we can't screw up, except we figured out how to screw it up (laughs) by turning it into a script for water baptism rather than a job description for how to get the job done. I want you to soak people. That's what baptize means. I want you to immerse them. I want you to saturate them in what? What's the medium, the name, the character, the reality of the Father, Son, and Spirit? If you could, in one word, sum up the character of the Father, Son, and Spirit, the perichoresis, the dance that characterizes the Trinity, what would that one word be? That's what John says. God is love. So soak people in that. That barista, be the best thing that happened to her today. I know you've had a rough night. I know that's not about you. You're on mission now. You're my disciple making disciples. And here's how I want you to do it. And remember, by the way, notice this is how Jesus did it. He didn't heal people so they'd follow him. He healed them because he loved them. He didn't hang out with sinners and tax collectors so they'd straighten up and fly right. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors so that they would know the king, creator, and lord of the universe. Love them. That created the space within which they could imagine for themselves a future that had no possibility of emergence other than that. Can you do that? No wonder we're doubtful. I'm not sure I can pull that off. I'm not sure. I, I, I know. Just This is an all place, so give it a shot. I'm with you. I'm authorizing you. I'm giving you the strategy. And then when you've done that for enough times that people start to wonder, what is it about you? You can teach them to live the way I've taught you how to live. You see the strategy here. 
Unfortunately, we have taught people first as a means to getting them water baptized. Rather than immerse them in the character of the Father first as a means to earning the right to teach them. We want people to believe before they follow. We want people to believe things about Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Help them to fall in love with me first. Because the things that they need to believe about Jesus will not come. Peter, remember? This way. It will only come as you reveal, as he is revealed through the character of love lived out loud in his followers, his disciples. You see how, you see the strategy, it's genius, which is why we largely ignored it, because we think we know better. We're going to go and walk you through stuff you need to know. And rather than that, Jesus says, let him fall in love with me first. Then the questions will start to make sense. So the invitation here, is, is to introduce them to someone to love, both mission and missions. And the truth of, of, the, of the matter is, brothers and sisters, you have nothing better to do. No, no, seriously, you have nothing better to do. And this is going to be on the final exam, just so you know, because he wants all his kids home in time for dinner. He's sending you to the highways and byways to the neighborhoods, to the classrooms. He's sending you with a single strategy. Now, not everybody will accept it. That's fine. That's not your business. You have to be an equal opportunity lover of the people with whom you come in contact, not because it works, but because that who has been born in you. That is the life that the Spirit will empower in you. That's the task. That's the challenge. And again, that's why Garden Church exists. It exists to be a missional presence. We exist for people who don't even go here yet, who've never heard of us. And I gotta be honest, friends, it's not so that they can come here. I don't know if you look around, but we don't have any room for them. <laughs> but that's never been the strategy. The strategy is not that people come to the church. The strategy is that the church goes to the people. So mission begins as you drive past mother's market. That's where mission begins. Are you in? Yes. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We are Garden Church. To find out more about our community and to find resources to help you in your spiritual journey, visit garden.church. Space for your presence to dwell into me.